0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com
1: awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't
0: use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
3: Hey, hey, welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm joined by Matt Trumpets.
2: Hey there, Spanners. How is it going?
3: Oh, it's fantastic. No technical hitches this week. Everything smooth, smooth as you like. Ready to talk about F1?
2: Yes, were you impressed with my
3: command of Japanese? It was actually Chinese. Your Skype translator decided to tell me everything you were saying in Chinese. And there's nothing that makes you sweat before a live stream than
2: a nice issue like that indeed nothing is more fun than everything going wrong right before you need it to be right
3: i feel like i've got a more of an appreciation of the chinese grand prix we've just seen though because of the chinese language i've just been hearing
2: speaking the language does give you an extra appreciation for the nuance of the culture this is true
3: i'm joking though that was the most frustrating thing that's ever happened so we're, <laughs> here, we're here to talk about the race that just happened matt it just happened today
2: yeah, or, or this morning or last night, or I don't know, I, I got I got very uh, confused by the whole thing. Did you watch it before you time.
3: slept or after you woke up?
2: No, see, this is the thing, my, my normal routine would be to have a bit of a nap in the evening. Uh, That has nothing to do with racing. That's just my normal routine. Because you're old. But I would would have a nap in the evening and then then wake up and watch the race. But because we literally did move house yesterday, like with the movers and the furniture and everything, that nap time simply failed to exist because I was busy trying to just set my gear up because uh, at our new location, we no longer have cable TV. We've got internet only. So by the time I had that done, the race was pretty much on and honestly <laughs> there were big chunks of the race where i was falling asleep
3: unbelievable because uh, it, it was asleep. it wasn't really the sort of race to fall asleep to so for those of you just finding us we're an independent podcast but we are delighted to be on downforce radio the nation's motorsport station for as long as they'll have us uh that's where we host e-radio show as well matt where we talk about rear aerodynamic sensitivity quite a lot
2: Yes, we do. We, we talk about racing close and open wheel vehicles and my favorite subject, batteries.
3: Yes, moving on swiftly, what can we give you here that you can't get elsewhere? Well, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. Uh, we aim to bring you an insight into Matt's personal administration of his life and a show that is safe for work. So my aim is that my six-year-old son will hear this without learning anything that will make my wife punch me in the face. So that's a little bit of the housekeeping out of the way. Details on how to join the conversation to follow. Matt, do you want to do this alone?
2: No, you know, I think we should probably invite some friends. It was a pretty eventful race. We could use some help.
3: Okay, then. Well, let's start with the most glamorous member of the Myst Apex team, Vivian Bove Queen V. How are you doing, Viv?
4: Very well. Thank you, Spanners. Uh, Thank you for the glamorous part. Although I'm still wearing my uniform.
3: Oh, your Ferrari Well, I think just by virtue of being a woman, we all assume you smell less than, I assume, we all smell from looking at the Skype pictures.
2: <laughs> I thought you were going a very bad direction with that, man. No, no, this is safe for <laughs> work.
3: Uh, Vivian, we've lost producer Tony this week because he is currently building his, his podcasting shed. Would you mind awfully running the chat room for us and, and conveying the messages of the stream?
4: Yes, of course. And we and we already have people watching us and listening to
3: us. Oh, my gosh. Well, th- good for them for bearing with it because if they've seen what we've had to put up with tech wise then bless them for staying with us okay and joining us as well from parts unknown it's ken aka vortex mortio
5: howdy from boise in the northwest of
3: the united states doesn't matter how often you tell me where you're from it never kind of sticks in
5: It's like Timbuktu, very close to there, okay? (laughs) Let's go. Well, the thing is, we nearly lost Matt
3: because his computer was speaking Chinese at me. And I was just like, well, I can just swap Ken right in, can't I? It's like The Walking Dead. If you lose one type of human, you just quickly swap in another of that type of human.
5: Yeah, we're all stupid old Americans, essentially.
2: <clears throat> I was going to say, if you tell him you're from Boise, to him it just sounds like France.
3: Yeah, it could literally be anywhere. <laughs> guys, <laughs> shut up. We've got uh, we've got someone I like a lot more than you people. We've got uh, a special guest joining us. Very, very pleased he could spare time on a busy Sunday afternoon. The assistant technical editor for motorsport.com, Summers, Matthew Summerfield. How's it going, Matt? I'm good, thanks. You guys? We are often more professional than we've been in the last 20 minutes i don't believe it fair enough i wouldn't either (laughs) okay we will be taking calls and stuff but first ken wanted to tell us some stuff from free practice you had some observations there ken before the quality even started
5: well, yeah, so from Friday, I thought something that um, shadowed across forward to the rest of the weekend was kind of significant, uh, race pace, what the long runs are like. And what was really interesting, I thought, on uh, Friday and free practice, too, was that the Ferraris held on to their tires uh, quite well, and Mercedes, surprisingly, um, did not. They were seeing a lot of degradation, and i was thinking that they may be vulnerable um on sunday and <clears throat> and, and in many ways that that kind of set what ended up happening on saturday in the qualifying and also what happened during the race. So um, I, I'm not a super strong math wizard, but I did play (laughs) around a little bit with that. I was wondering if, if uh, Matt, you were busy
2: moving. Yeah. Well, my observations, I used to like to, when I, when I took trying to pick the winner series, I used to go through and call what I thought were the representative lap times on tires from free practice too, because prior to the new engines, or power units, excuse me. Or could we call them engines again? I'm old. I'm going to call them engines. Screw you, world.
3: Do you know? What? Anyway. Everyone knows what you mean when you call it engine. <laughs> I think my general rule for communicating anything is: if you have to, if the person who, who's hearing it has to look it up, just don't bother. Just use the common word.
2: Right, and and I think you were. I think I saw a, a site that had aggregated uh, long runs, and and Ferrari did look particularly strong. On the soft tire. But what was noticeably different, particularly in the race, was the temperature of the track was much, much higher than it was on Friday during free practice. And I noticed you notice a lot of teams running the medium tire on Sunday, whereas before that in Bahrain, where it was cooler, that was absolutely a bad idea. And I think it has to do with the way the cars are putting heat into the tires. And for Mercedes, the cooler temperatures I think are problematic for them in a way that they're not for Ferrari on the on the soft tire, because I think that's mainly who we're who we're talking about. Okay. The other thing that, yep. that came up as an issue and was a huge issue was the the pressures that the, the the pressures that were being run in the tires. And I don't know if you if you notice that as well, but they're stupendously high. For a racing car, I thought.
3: Okay, so uh, several points there have come up. And if only we had some kind of technical technical assistant uh, online to join us. Uh, Summers, uh, there was a load to talk about the high pressure. Are these guys, like, talking rubbish? Because I tend to respect them quite a lot. But, you know, it would be nice to know if they're stupid.
2: Right. So the guy that just talked was brilliant. And the other guy there, the other miracle was pretty brilliant, too
3: summer's gone. Have we lost him? (laughs) We just
2: lost summer. How how could you tell? I thought that was a bang on imitation.
3: (laughs) Okay. So well, we add him to the call, Well, I add him back to the call, Matt, uh, Well, I add him back to the call, yeah, so the thing was that everyone was complaining that the tie pressures were too high. So what's Pirelli's incentive for running the pressures that high?
2: Well, uh, how much tinfoil do you have at home?
3: Oh, uh, one roll, say.
2: one roll, one roll. Okay, so I'll I'll get rid of it's politically motivated to make life harder for Mercedes, because that that's certainly one explanation that came out of the race at Spa, and then when the pressures were jacked up for Monza, this was last year when Sebastian Vettel's tire exploded near the end of the race. Oh yeah, and so they raised the pressures, and then at Monza, Mercedes really struggled and. It may have been politically motivated to simply hobble Mercedes, as is the way in Formula One.
3: Oh, okay. Ooh, conspiracy theories coming up already.
2: That's why I asked how much tinfoil you had. Oh, for Uh, the tinfoil hats. Right. Okay. I thought you were
3: interested in, like,
5: my cooking. No? Uh, No, no, not really. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so tinfoil hat theories are just great but let, let's get back to so we have somebody that's actually smart on this podcast matt summerfield and i i was interested in in matt's thoughts on the friday free practice as far as like the the whole theory i subjected everyone to of the long run of um ferrari their strength there versus mercedes looking weak did any thoughts on that matt
6: yeah well f- firstly there's uh I don't know how you determine smart. Um, (laughs) I suppose... uh, Twitter uh,
3: followers? I don't
6: know. Yeah. Anyway, um, in terms of the tyres, it's down to temperature at the end of the day. Um, The Pirelli tyres are designed to be temperature sensitive and that obviously has an effect on the way that the energy in the tyre creates the degradation. Um, So, as you say, usually FP2 is a a good marker, um, but... Because of the tyre, the, the temperatures in China, you, you have this this problem where sometimes um, it's not actually representative as to what you see at, on, on the circuit itself, and that I think is what we saw throughout the Grand Prix, um, yeah. particularly in terms of the medium tyre. Um, I was tweeting during during the Grand Prix in as much as that um, it was strange that the medium tyre suddenly seemed reactive, um, and it was purely down to the, the temperatures on the day. Um, but that's partly because the, they're so closely aligned in terms
3: of what the temperatures need to be in each of these the tyres. The so, were they somewhat blind then in the race to what the medium was going to do?
6: I, I think so, yeah. Um, just purely down to the fact that the, the compound choices are, are so close to one another now, in terms of the, their working ranges. And because we've got three um, compounds rather than two, as we've had in the previous years, um, you can kind of see where certain teams are strong with a certain type of tyre so obviously that's going to have a that's going to have a major effect on the way that they choose their allocations throughout
3: the season okay then so what we've seen so far is that ferrari tend to seem to enjoy the the softer compounds and mercedes have run a lot on the medium during testing I
6: mean mercedes didn't even use the softer tires so you know they've clearly geared their car towards the, the middle of the range and they're working outwards from there in terms of the temperature ranges.
2: Right. And that was something we saw go very wrong for them in Bahrain because the temperature of the track wound up being cooler, wow. I think, than the uh, race engineers expected. But what, when you were talking and it came to me, one thing that might be very interesting is in the past, we've had teams that would be strong at certain tracks, at a high downforce track, at a low downforce track. But now it looks like we might have teams that are going to be strong based on literally the weather at the track.
6: I would say that, that that's pretty accurate, to be honest, um, because the, the, the actual circuit temperature is going to have a major effect on, on the, the race balance. And obviously when you've got three separate compounds rather than the two, it just spreads the, spreads the load out slightly.
3: So that's amazing. It, so somewhere like Silverstone, we could just literally see the race just change halfway through, through the day?
6: Pretty, pretty much, yeah, because of how how close the tyre temperature ranges are. I mean, you only, only have to look at what Mercedes did with Rosberg in um, in the Q2 and getting through on the soft tyre. I was absolutely flabbergasted that nobody else went out on the soft tyre after they saw what Rosberg was able to do. Because yeah. if, they, if they'd have done that, they'd have been able to start the race on the soft tyre. Um, It just made absolutely zero sense to me as to why. I I understand why Ferrari didn't, because they'd only got two sets of the soft tyre in their allocation. Yeah. Um, But there were other teams that could have took advantage of that fact, I think, because at at that point in time, the soft tyre was actually quicker than the super soft. Because the super soft was degrading too quickly.
5: So, great points. And but I want to ask about the temperatures on Friday because what I I noticed I heard people say that they were different than the race. But I went back and looked, and I saw something rather interesting, which is that um, in free practice two, uh, Pirelli had tweeted that um, they were looking at a, a track temperature of uh, forty seven degrees Celsius and during the race today they said they saw a high of 45 degrees celsius and the and the ambient temperatures were fairly similar as well but what i what i had and the reason i want to ask that is cuz in Pirelli's release i think i saw a typo which is they said that the track temperatures were 37 degrees celsius which is a world a world of different
6: i think what you have to think about there as well is is that the The track is greener on a on a free practice during during Friday. You've got a lot more rubber laid down on the on the Sunday. You've already had qualifying. You've then got rubber being laid down throughout the race, and that has a compound effect on the tire itself, and will generate more heat just by virtue of the the tire carcass being laid onto the circuit.
2: Right, maybe it would be good to lay it out for for listeners, and I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this. But there are two basic problems that can happen with a Pirelli tire. If it's too cold, the tire can grain, which reduces performance. Is that, have I got that right?
6: Yeah, that's, that's right. Basically, it's all down to graining. Yeah.
2: And then if it overheats, what happens? Does it, does it just simply, you don't can't run as many laps or do you also suffer other performance degradation?
6: The tire, once you overheat it, tends not to come back. So you, you literally lose performance. Um, it's sort of you hit the cliff, and all of a sudden you'll 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 start to lose pace effectively. Um, and there's no, there there's so, such a narrow wind operating window. So we're talking like 20 Celsius um, of operating window for the maximum range within the tire. And once you start to to head beyond or below those ranges, then the t- the tire will not perform the way that it should do. The
3: tire will just Guys, do you mind if I move us along to some qualifying stuff? Because I found <laughs> qualifying a fascinating, if ultimately not that entertaining affair. Go on, Matt. Here we go.
2: I, I do. I want to ask one question about the failures on Mass's car. If, if you know, they said it was down, was it a brake duct or bodywork that ultimately caused those failures? And, were, and do you know it was just, did they fit the part wrong? Or do you think it was possibly related to the tire size being different because they're being run at higher pressures?
6: Bit of everything, really. Um, the higher pressures is, has been a major problem for most of the teams the weekend um, because it has a ch- it changes the actual physical shape of the tire and the way that it um, obviously aligns with bodywork, et cetera. But Williams actually had some minor changes to the brake duct to, to try and improve performance as well, and that's the way that the brake duck seats with the the actual wheel rim and it was the wheel rim that failed i've seen pictures of the the wheel rim that were at, it was actually cracked so there's parts of it missing so effectively what's happened is uh, i would imagine the outside the inner edge of the tire has, has basically um got to got heated too much and it's basically caused a fracture on
3: the on the wheel rim itself vivian okay is there Thank any you. any any activity in the chat room or did we put everyone off with our chinese translator fault
4: no, there's a lot about the, about the tire thing in, in the chat room. For example, MG5904 is saying that Mercedes ran about 12 gazillion miles on the M-tire during preseason testing, and you would expect them to know the, the tire fully. And then All Hail Me-1 says it's a joke as teams are having to spend millions in testing to try and understand them. And it goes on and on.
3: Yeah, and uh, we could we could dive deep into what Paul Hembree was saying about what's going to happen in the future tests and who's going to pay for them. I think he'd like to make out that they're paying for everything, but I think uh, we're going to get bogged down, Matt. If we don't go to the qualifying session right now, are you are you going to let me do that? Or are you going to wag my your finger at me and tell me? No, I've done I just stupid? wanted
2: to take advantage of our highly knowledgeable guest and get some accurate information.
3: Oh man, we do we do risk. We do risk punching above our weight here. If we get into the qualifying, we had a nice spin straight off the bat. And did you notice there was just a killer, a killer lake, a typhoon, a stream running down the home straight? And poor Pascal Weilland brought it to a, a, bit of a, a bit of an unceremonious end in the, in the sidewall of a straight. And what did we make of that, Ken?
5: You know, a couple of things. One, I, I, I don't think people realize that when you take temperature off a racing tire, how slippery it can be. And then if, for those that saw it, you know, they, they replayed it and he had opened up his DRS. But the one thing that I noticed that I didn't see commentators mention is that he he had given the front – uh, steering a little bit of input there to kind of align himself a little bit, just as he was passing over the bump, unloaded the rear end, and that helped. That was enough to kick the back end loose. It was, it was in some ways I thought kind of interesting, and the result was um, a red flag or whatnot, right? You know, and I kind of wondered whether or not that was the right call. Should they have just let it gone ahead? Green flag. Those guys are pros. They should be able to drive past that.
3: Well, uh, I don't know. I think you, if you've got a car on the straight, you, that's what you're saying. Like, let them drive past the Stranded Manor. I, I don't I see how they could do that.
5: No, no, no. They, they, they red flagged it so they could dry the track. Oh, that
3: bit. No, that was pathetic. <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> pathetic. Yeah, I'm all in favour of, yeah, get the, get the car off the track because maybe another car could, you know, that could happen again. But to sit there and actually try and dry a puddle, which, by the way, they didn't seem able to do. They just went out there without a plan. No, I did not like that. Just let people fly through the bump. If I've got to do it on Forza, they can do it here at China.
2: Yeah, I was missing that. Ridiculous. I was missing the music while they were trying to dry the puddle there. I was actually interested because it seemed like to me the massive bridge over the track there created that puddle. How's that? just because of the, the water draining down the side oh, of no it way. and crossing the track there. It looked like, to me, it was actually an unintended feature of the way the track had been designed with that massive slab of concrete right there, that that, that stretch was not dry. But it, it was, I think it was just bad luck for him. I don't think he did anything wrong. Just the tire bit once he came back down. All oh, right, and then we'll just slung him right in the wall.
3: Well, let's ask Summers then. A lot of talk about it being his fault because the DRS flap was open. Would that have given him enough grip to cut through the puddle? Well, obviously, the DRS being open would have created lift anyway. So, yeah, it would have
6: changed the dynamic of the car. But um, I think everybody's already covered the majority of what the problem was. The biggest issue to me is the fact that the bumps there, you know, it's main straight acceleration point. Um, and I can't honestly remember seeing that bump in previous years, um, but it appears to have magically a- a arrived for this Grand Prix. Um, and I think that was my, the main reason behind Verline's accident.
3: Okay, and then obviously our three-time world champion couldn't even get a lap in. He was complaining of his ERS failing. Uh, that's the battery type bit, isn't it, Matt? So he was basically losing all that extra battery power. But it appears
6: to have magically.
3: Oh, hang on! We have a caller on the line, and I get to say this. I can't believe I get to say this. Can you please turn your stream down, sir? Turn the turn the stream down. Please turn your radio down, sir. Hold on. I can't believe I've gotten to say that. That this is the most legit moment in my podcasting career. We've had a caller in and he's had to turn down his stream. We're joined by friend of the show, Fortis. We were just talking about your man, Lewis Hamilton, and the fact that his ERS failed. Uh, What do you want to talk about, Fortis?
7: Uh, Firstly, hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. And (laughs) anyone, you you ask about smart. Smart is anyone who says anything smarter than um Spanish. So Dude. you've actually passed the
3: test. Yes. <laughs> You're very smart. I invite you here <laughs> to my podcast and this is how you repay me. <laughs> okay, I've just got to say, we've never seen you on video before, Fortis. You look like an in- enormous human being. Yeah, I do eat a lot, you know. Oh, that's, well, that's good. I mean, yeah, I... just ask Matt.
2: Oh, Matt's met you in real life in New York.
3: Indeed. Yes. And yes, he, he yeah. is
2: He is not a small person.
3: Well, congratulations on that. What do you want to talk about, Fortis?
7: Uh, just the race in general, and um, mainly Seb's reaction to Kvyat, which is kind of, I found a bit disingenuous. <laughs> you know, because he went off on Kvyat. And you look at, when you watch the replay over and over again, you realize, hold on a second, what are you talking about, Seb? This was... Or oh, you. <laughs> Kvyet didn't even hit him. He didn't, you know, he went, if you look at it, I think both him and Kimi ran wide at that turn. Vi- uh, Kiviet... Vettel
3: did react uh, as if a ghost had snuck up and tickled him in the armpit, didn't he?
7: Yeah, the finger doesn't like to be scared.
3: We will de- we'll get to that uh, later in the show. But do you think uh, you're a married man? Have you, ever, have you ever accused your wife of something that she knows she was guilty of doing and instead of accepting responsibility, she's just picked out several things you've done wrong?
7: Spanners, I'm, <laughs> I'm still married because I don't accuse my wife of anything. <laughs> See, you're
3: smart. It, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> you just
2: alienated Vivian and slightly more than half of our population.
3: <laughs> I know, I know. Is there any other points you'd like to bring up there at all, Fortis, before you, um, we let you go? I want to ask a question. Ooh. And
7: it's in regards to the rhetoric we've been hearing in the media relating to the um the races. Previous for the last two years, Bernie and his courts have been on this um kind of witch hunt about Mercedes with dominating and winning everything. Yeah. Mainly with Lewis in the at front. Now yeah. we don't hear that anymore. It seems to be now that the the the, the winner has changed. And Lewis is in some ways on the back forth. Back foot, you hear a different sort of speech from everyone. It's not entertaining. So my my question is, why is it, why does it why Lewis has to suffer, right, for F one to be classed as entertaining? But when he's at the front, it's labelled as boring.
3: Oh, oh, and we will we'll take that off air. But I'll I'll say to you first, um, was that not the same for Michael though? I mean, if Michael Schumacher had gone to the back and Eddie Irvine had picked, or Barrichello had picked up a championship, would the same thing not have happened? Mm, nah. When Michael was
7: winning, everyone was like, oh, because Michael Michael walks on water. In, <laughs> back in his days, he walked on water. So whatever he did, you know, he was godlike. So I never, I used to say from 2000 to 2004, was probably the most boring f1 races i've ever watched in my entire life i
3: cannot disagree i cannot disagree with you at all i agree with you completely thank you so much for calling in i will put that uh, to the panel you can turn your stream back up now thanks for calling us forward to speak to you soon
2: all right no problem well i was going to say it's very simple who would you rather see trying to charge from the back to the front rosberg or hamilton
3: well yeah exactly yeah you know i mean
2: hamilton is a spectacularly entertaining driver in traffic because he tr- he makes overtakes happen where lots of other people choose not to, and that's been to his detriment sometimes. Because he will have the occasional contact, but that's what makes him exciting to watch in those in those circumstances.
5: So, so I, I want to pick up on a comment that um, Fortis uh, so graciously made, which is about Vettel's anger, and in particular something that uh, Matt Summerfield mentioned earlier, which is that. Um Ferrari and Vettel both made a gamble um, to do uh Q3 on a single run with supersofts and the reason for that is they wanted to save one set of unused supersofts for the race right yeah which then became useless as it heated up yeah well we'll we'll talk about that too but um but the the thing that was really interesting I think was that and and I thought Fortas kind of hit it on all cylinders there, right? You know, that in fact, you know, Vettel really he should have been angry, but he probably should have been angry at himself, um, because that was mostly an own goal when you look back on it. And and part of the reason I think that he was angry was for Saturday, he he did the one run in consultation with the team, he said, I can make that lap stick. And And if he had been able to make his one lap stick, the Sunday race would have been a world of difference because his his start was pretty good. But if he was starting on the front row, um, that could have been such a different race than what we saw. I was kind of curious of what Matt thought of that gamble.
3: Uh, Okay, can we just go to Viv first? Is there some comment on that?
4: yeah uh in the in the chat room we have catman f1 saying that about qualifying plus a mixed upgrade makes racing in the pack more interesting but the front very boring in this case a uh, rosberg had no challenge today because anyone who could challenge was stuck in traffic uh
6: some the it's all about tires again isn't it um we don't yeah. mind
3: that we're used to it now aren't
6: we <laughs> pretty much yeah um in terms of the, the the entertainment side of things at the end of the day. Yeah, Lewis. Um, Bernie's al- always pronounced Lewis as being the, the best thing that F- for F1. Um, and when he's at the front and there's nobody challenging him, then you know it's just too easy for, for him and the, the entertainment value is not there. But um, obviously everybody's a winner when Hamilton's down the back of the grid and has to come through. Um, unfortunately, he obviously picked up all that damage. So um, we didn't quite see, I don't think, the full potential of where he could have ended up today. Yeah. Um and I think Mercedes
3: botched the, the strategy as well, but that's another story. Well I have um, to say that I don't I don't think it's malicious though. I think Matt's no, put his nail on the head. It's yeah. that G- it genuinely can be boring when Lewis Hamilton is up at the front. When he's at the back, who would you rather see? And I think I think Matt's um absolutely nailed that. So I'd just like to get us on towards the race because I'm oh, just wary of time a little bit. Uh, Ricardo manages to to nail a second place. Where did that come from? It, they haven't taken a big step in engines have they matt
2: well they've apparently taken some kind of step in engines because there's no way that would have been possible last year but the the chassis remains good yeah and i think he just really the uh the tires the tires absolutely favored him when he made that run it, he made the run at the right time and everything was the right temperature and let's face it if you've ever watched Ricardo drive in a junior series, you know just how good a driver he really, really is. And he's not been flattered by the car he inherited the last couple of years.
3: No, and he must have thought, I'm going into the the four times winning championship team. This is going to be great. And he got handed a pig, basically, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he absolutely did. Although I'd had the thought when, when someone was talking about tires is that really tires are like the batteries of Formula One.
3: Let's uh let's go to the race where lots of people Oh no, you missed the apex. Lots of people missed the apex on turn one. And that it's an amazing first turn, isn't it, Matt? There's just there's so many phases to that corner and so much that can go wrong. You can't treat it like a you've got to treat I don't know, it's it's like a motorway roundabout.
2: It really is. It has a strange decreasing radius kind of effect to it where you just – just when you think you're through it and you want to stop on the accelerator, if you do, it's all going to go horribly, horribly wrong for you. You have to be so patient with it, and it's got to be really tough, especially at the start of the race when you're trying to get in front of a Mercedes that you know can't start as well as your car, but some stupid Aussie got there ahead of you somehow.
3: Yeah, and ruined everything. And then, of course, (laughs) then of course we had uh, we had. Let's go to Vivian for what happened. That the talk of turn one was your your. I don't think your boy Kimmy was completely innocent. But where do you stick the blame? Well,
4: like Vortex was saying, um, Vettel was blaming Kiviet. but really Kvyat didn't hit Vettel, but Vettel did go left and hit my Kimi and obviously ruined both races and he even said it's not good when when two of the same two cars of the same color hit each other it wasn't on purpose it was racing but um I don't know Vettel wanted to blame the, the rookie Kvyat for it. it
3: it wasn't on purpose but Ken my my feeling really is that the blame is squarely on Vettel he got spooked he, he went down to the inside. He thought he'd have it his, all his own way. He got spooked, and then he jumped into his teammate. Why doesn't your instinct do you jump into the Red Bull, not your teammate?
5: <laughs> well, that's a great point, and I think he was carrying a little too much speed himself. I mean, we saw in the replay Kimi had locked his uh, inside front wheel. He had got a lot of uh, wind taken off his front wing, and he lost his front, front end, but... Um, Vettel was also in the same boat. He wasn't able to get that car to turn in. If he would got it to turn in, that lane for for Kvyat would not have been there. But really, if we're going to blame people, yes, let's blame people. Maybe we should blame Sergio Marchionne because uh, Sergio was there, and not only that, Sergio was there on Saturday as well, and that was when the big call was made when when Vettel raised his hand and said, "Hey guys, let me just do one run." That way I can save a set of super softs for the race. And um, if he had done two runs, he probably could have stuck that second lap. He wouldn't have blown it out. He wouldn't have been back there, stuck behind Kimi. He thought, well, maybe I can take advantage of Kimi sliding out. He he couldn't make it stick. And really, it goes back to Saturday and their gamble. And they made that gamble based upon what they did in the Friday free practice. Ma-
2: So that brings up an interesting point as to why he was so vociferously attacking Fiat all through the race. Because the big boss was there and he (laughs) broke the number one rule of Formula One, which is do not take your teammate out.
3: We have a caller on the line, but first I just want to get to Summers. I want to know who you blame, Summers. We need to apportion blame. Um, Let's
6: blame Bernie Eccleston. (laughs) Because <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy pop out, isn't it? Um, I blame Vettel, you know, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, he was driving into a, a disappearing wedge and he was basically trying to force the issue. And he's on a front limited track. He knows that the, the, the front left is taking all the energy and, and he's basically washed out and, and took out his teammate
2: out. Go on, Matt. I, I did want to add one thing, and we see this so, so much these days one of the things that happens, you're talking about them not being able to get the cars to turn in, not being able to get the front end around, but they almost never run with a race's worth of fuel during practice. And they're so competitive into that first turn. Regularly, you see contact like this simply because they're not used to the dynamics of the car on on full tanks. And we have a caller on the line. Thanks for joining Mist Apex. Who have we got?
3: It's Martin. Martin, uh, right. thanks for joining Missed Apex. Uh, you're, you're, you're not in the chat room, are you? How have you enjoyed it in there? I'm,
8: I'm in and out. I'm a long-time listener. I'm a first-time caller. Boom. I'm, 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 I'm excited. I'm excited. I've got to say it. <laughs>
3: Second radio cliche <laughs> we've had tonight. Martin, what do you want to say?
8: I've got two points I want to make earlier. Really. Just two quick points because I know you're, you're running low. Um, I think, firstly, that Rosberg, Rosberg won the race by, by finishing Q2. With the time he set on his softs,
3: yeah, lots of nods. If he hadn't have done that,
8: if he if he hadn't have, if he'd have set them on the super softs, then I don't think you, I think he would have been pushed if the safety car hadn't come out. Yeah,
3: you're getting a lot of nods from from the panel. Uh, a lot of surprise. Why why do you think maybe the other teams didn't follow that example?
8: I'm not too sure. I think there were. I think they might have been surprised at the at the, uh, the lap time that Rosberg set in the first place. I think it might have caught everyone by surprise on them tyres.
3: And what was your other point there, Martin?
8: And the other one was that um, Hamilton at the back, at the back of the grid, um, his race went to pot when Kimi unsafely entered back on the track.
3: Oh, and you're laying NASA into Hamilton. Oh, yes, this is what I like. This is blame. <laughs> I like, I like the blame culture. So, that is a very good point. Kimi left the track, and he just he darted back on. Now, uh, Naza w- was coming around. He drifted out to the left. Uh, and that's when Hamilton saw the gap and went on the inside yeah, and then and he had to uh, take avoiding action yeah. so you think that was illegal what Kimi did I'm
8: not saying it was illegal but what I'm saying is um, he wasn't looking as to what was going on on the track and he could have been uh, he could have been more sensible
3: than that now Vivian your boy has got previous on this if we uh, remember back to Silverstone was it when he took out a significant section of the Armco because he just comes on willy nilly whenever he wants oh I'm Kimi I can just come on whenever I want <laughs>
4: Yeah, leave Kimi alone. He's not what he's doing. And anyway, uh, Ham- Hamilton, he went, he did 18 overtakes and he finished what? Eight.
3: Oh, so you've diverted it on, instead of facing the responsibility of <laughs> <laughs> what can we See, do? now Hashtag, Now
2: you're taking Kimi alone. You're taking the Kfiat room, which is like, hey, you got a podium. Be quiet. I was really irritated. I can't wait. I'm going to jump ahead. Mm-hmm. The Kfiat didn't look at him and said, well, you've got a pedal under your left foot, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Uh, Martin, (laughs) thanks very much for calling in. How did you rate the race overall? I think it was a hell of a lot better than last week. And uh, uh, the previous week, a lot more entertaining. Excellent. Thanks very much for your call. We hope to see you again on Miss Apex Podcast. Excellent. I absolutely love it when the chat room gets involved and calls in. However, it does distract me from what we're doing. What are we doing, Matt? It's the race. It was turn one. Where do you want to go next?
2: Well, I, I think we've all agreed... That is pretty much Vettel's choice to have wrecked Kimmy instead of Kvyat or simply putting on the brake and thereby continuing to race. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say because I know I know you're a big fan of Xbox. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever done a race and then gone back and like.
4: Ready to pop the question.
2: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
3: Watched the video of it? Um, not maybe. Yeah, yes.
2: Yeah, of course you have. If you want to get better, that's what you do. So I, I can I can remember playing on my Xbox a few times and thinking, that guy drove right into me. What the hell is this problem? The robots are horrible on Xbox, by the way. They just <laughs> crash you out constantly. And then you go back and you look at the video and you're like, Oh, I drove right into that guy. (laughs) So It's hard to you free. It's very easy to forget how different the perception is when you're like locked into that little tiny window with the high sides and the visor and everything like that. So I I can't necessarily even give him too, too hard of a time for that because his perception might have been his perception and very accurate to him. But looking at it from above, it was very clear it, it was his choice that made that situation happen. And, and it and, was sad because it wrecked the whole race well yeah
3: it did and and in the end what it did was it turned ricardo's brilliant start to get him ahead of Nico rosberg into a, really turned him into a futile track cleaner because what he ended up probably doing is picking up the debris that was meant for the leader obligingly bursting his tire and getting out of the way for the number six
2: yeah, exactly. And that was, that was, it was interesting at the time that they, they said that it was surprising they hadn't already brought out the safety car to clean up the debris. And then bang, there goes Ricciardo's tire. And everyone was just like, no, there will be no race for P1 this time around. <laughs> this is as well. Give him the championship. Now will be done with it if his luck continues like this.
3: Okay, then. So uh, we, we, we get into the race. There's a safety car. And Hamilton makes 17 stops in the pits. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I was wondering if Summers had a view on the tactic of basically doing three pit stops in quick
2: succession. Yeah, he brought up the strategy thing, and I think this is what he was talking about. Is that right?
6: Yeah, it is. I I was just a little bemused as to why that Mercedes decided to, I understand what they were trying to do, is get get around the the super soft tyre. Um, because they're thinking that they'll be able to then run just soft tyres throughout the rest of the race. The problem with that is is that they didn't, at that moment, completely understand the damage that Hamilton had to the car. And that exacerbated the tyre wear that he was having. And that's why we saw towards the middle and end of his stints, him really struggling with the car. Because the balance of the car was completely off and it was having a major effect on on, on his tyre wear. Um, especially, most people didn't. I don't know if most people noticed this, but into turn one, he was having pretty bad issues in terms of being able to to, to keep the car dialed into how he, how he normally would. He was taking a slightly different line, and that's because of the amount of energy that was being put into the front left. Um, and like I said, just a bit confused by Mercedes' overall strategy. I know what they were trying to do in terms of getting rid of the super soft, um, but I think it was more of a ga- case of. Just stay on what you're on and t- stop trying to make things too complicated.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think you, you bring up an interesting point because it's not the first time they made an, shall we say, interesting choice strategy-wise.
5: Well, okay, so let me just jump in because um, actually that that choice was pretty smart, <clears throat> and I noticed that Patty Lowe – mentioned in the Mercedes uh, release after the race something that I haven't seen anybody pick up on this yet but they had um, uh, Lewis had started on the softs because he started at the back or whatnot and I don't recall if those were used or new softs but he'd only done the one lap they pulled them off um, they put on the super softs and then their game plan was to put that First set of softs that he started with to put them back on. And then, after the uh, safety car or whatnot, the Pirelli guys or somebody noticed that that first set had been cut and damaged. And nobody had noticed that before. And so they didn't have any other soft sets to use. And they had to use the medium set. And that really hurt. Uh, Lewis, who obviously was hurt on his pace from as what Summers had mentioned throughout the race, but the mediums didn't help at all. It would have been a little bit better for him if he could have used that original first set, which was their game plan and which is the whole reason for that silly, seemingly silly uh, multi pit stop safety car action.
3: When they do something as left field as that, uh, Matt, that you kind of go, wow, this is either genius or terrible. And I was excited and then unexcited.
2: It's like coming into the pit for slicks before the track is all the way dry. You're either going to be a hero or a zero. And people always remember the hero and they forget the zero because that's just the nature of life. No, I wonder, like the standard response to having an issue like an extra pit stop is to try and go long and take advantage of the time you're going to gain when the front runners come in and make the extra stop. So that's, I think that's standard Mercedes emergency response Strategy wise, go long. Put them on different tires. Go long. Try and make up the time that way.
3: Yeah, but the thing but, is, it's the wrong driver to do it with, isn't it?
2: No, it's not the wrong driver. He's he's really good at at managing his tires. The problem was the car was. Damaged, and he was unable to make the stent length necessary for that strategy to work. And you could see it when he was back out on the softs. He could run. uh, He ran about half the laps that Rosberg ran on the soft tire. So, what wasn't taken into account, and I don't know the answer, and maybe Summers does, is is whether or not they had a clear understanding of how much arrow his car had lost before they tried to run this strategy. If they if they knew that was going to happen then they were then they should never have done it they should have tried to run him in short stints and burn up the tires anyway because they had the sets to burn and as far as reusing, I don't know, reusing a tire that's been on the track always seems a bit dodgy to me. But the mediums, I think, Ken, were really the tire of choice once the track temperature hit between 40 and 44 degrees. It seemed like to me that was just a sweet spot for those tires. And Rosberg was running some killer laps on those, on those very same compounds. So I don't think the medium was a poor choice. I think with the loss of aero, he just simply couldn't run the lap times for that long. No, I think All right, you, uh, Summers, you got to decide this, man. Kim <laughs> shaking his head at me like I'm uh, nuts.
6: Okay, F- firstly, going back to the pit stops, uh, the thing that I don't understand is that obviously we had him go in soft, go back in super soft, come out, come back in soft again. If they were going to play that guard, they should have put him on the super soft from the get-go and then come back in for the soft. They basically wasted a pit stop. It was ridiculous that we ended up with that many pit stops in in, in quick succession with one another.
3: But, you know, Um, it could easily have made them geniuses though.
6: Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, Like I say, at that point, going back to to Matt's point, um, they would have known what kind of error losses we were looking at. Um, It wouldn't, it's not a linear measurement, though, because things change throughout the race, especially, obviously, in terms of the fuel load burning off the car. So that's going to have a massive effect on on the balance of the car. Um, and that's going to make a change depending on which, which um, compound, you you're on.
3: OK. OK, well, before we move on to the sort of the post-safety car panel of the race, I just need to interrupt... Quickly to be joined by the founder of Formula E Buzz, who's launched a new initiative, and I'm desperate to give you a few minutes. Are you, are you on the line?
9: Yes, I am. Can you hear me? This has been me. I know it's it's an unusual name, but I'll I'll explain what I'm <laughs> what I'm about in a few minutes.
3: Yeah, that's cool. You've got Hi, um, you've got a new uh, initiative that you'd like to talk about quickly.
9: Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like I'm kind of in the wrong audience because you guys have been talking about Formula One um, so far. But um, yeah, so I organise a Twitter Q and A session after H.E. Pre. yeah, um, focused on Formula E kind of topics and talking about the races. And so yeah, that's called FE Buzz, yep. and kind of leveraging off kind of the community we built on that, we're launching this new initiative to support two charities which are involved in um, getting young people involved in STEM subjects, so sustainability engineering.
3: That's brilliant. Um, what are the what are the yeah. charities?
9: Um, the Princess Trust and the Green Power Trust. Some of you might know Green Power Trust. They were the support series to Formula E last season. Um, they've now been replaced by the Autonomous Racing
3: Series. Roll was that the quite the slow, the very sort of slow? Was it solar powered? <laughs> no, that... no, no.
9: So you um, you might be thinking um, Eco Drive or something. This is yes. um, for schools, so they have various tiers. So in, in it's a UK based classes, and everyone gets to build. Um, kind of a is it it's not an electric go card but effectively you could argue that skills they learn from that um, program could feed them into becoming formally engineers in the future
3: anything so, that gets young people into engineering absolutely you have absolutely. you have my time.
9: Yeah, and and in the past, you know, they've been um, struggling to raise funds, and I thought it'd be good to if, run a few laps. Of, we're organising a um, a run at Dunanton Racetrack, which is the headquarters of Formula E. A, ro-
3: a run um, on your legs, or
9: yes, yes, it's one of those painful ones. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> um, we're also auctioning off some motorsport um, uh, items. Yep. So, if fans want to get involved again, I'll send a link. Um, I know you know you guys want to get on with dissecting if, the race. If so, you, um,
3: If you could send our listeners anywhere on yes. the internet, where would you send them?
9: Best thing to do is if you go on Twitter, presumably, most of you are on Twitter. Oh, I know for, that. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> look for e racing news, and um, yeah, it should be in part of the bio. Will you know guide you to where you need to go? It's it's much harder trying to read out a whole
3: no, no, absolutely. Uh, understood <laughs> that. Look, yeah. thank you so much for hanging on. I know we've been trying to get you on uh, for no, most no, of the thank show. You. Be sure to also join us on eRadio show. I'm sure me, Matt, and Tom will be happy to have you on.
9: Yes, thanks. All right, thanks, everyone. Bye.
3: Bye. So now I want to go to uh, Williams, and they definitely. I don't know. Summers, where did Williams' pace go? Two years they've been the third best team in Formula One. What what's happened to them?
6: Well, I don't know what they've been doing that with that uh, wet weather working group, but they seem to have obviously had a major impact on the performance of the car. Um, it just seems as if to me that they're, they're struggling with the tyres in terms of being able to get them into the operating windows and being able to maintain that throughout a race distance. Um, Having said that, they're, they're pretty poor in qualifying as well, in terms of where they they've been ranked over the previous seasons. Um, I think that the, they've obviously tried to make some aerodynamic changes to try and add some more downforce to the car, and that's been a kind of a problematic area for Williams over the last sort of ten years. They they struggled through that with a sort of cut under exhaust, etc. So um, it's difficult to to see Williams struggling, but. I can't see them uh, making much progress this season, and I think they'll be looking more towards 2017.
3: Uh, but where, where does their problem really lie? Because we, they was talking to Rob Smedley, and after the race he was saying, well, the pit stops were great, we had good tactics, we had good strategy, the drivers did well, it's just that the car is slow. Yeah, they've just got no pace. They've just got no pace. But they've got the engine. Is it that... Remember, was it the, a couple of years ago, they were very strong in Austria, where there's like two turns and the the rest is all straight, and it was because they were very, running very light on aero. Do, do you think they've, have they sort of bolted on more aero and lost that advantage?
6: Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the FW36, the 2014 car, was an extremely slippery car. Um, it was perhaps a challenger to Mercedes on certain tracks. Like you say, Austria was probably one yeah. of the best examples. Ooh,
2: and, and remember Bottas qualifying lap in Russia too, where he almost beat both Mercedes. Mm.
6: Yeah. But that was, that was very tire dependent. Again, Russia's such a sensitive track in terms of tires because it's such a lower, a low abrasive circuit. So, um, although that might start to bed in as, as, as the races continue to go there. Um, I think it's purely down to them trying to add downforce and unfortunately failing in terms of being able to maintain the level of downforce they need compared to the, their opposition around them. Viv?
4: Yeah, I have a, a question about in the chat room. MG5904 is asking about, didn't Botas Cloud Hamilton while trying to go up in, up the inside eerily similar to Bahrain, or perhaps he's mistaken.
3: Oh, so uh, he's comparing it to Kvyat's attempt. Well, I think that is very different because Hamilton was already all the way turned around into that corner, hence his side pod got hit, uh, whereas Kvyat didn't actually hit anyone. So I'm not seeing any similarities between those two situations.
2: No, no, it's completely different. If you look at the position of the cars, uh, Hamilton was definitely ahead of and taking the racing line in, in Bahrain. Although you could argue he, he could have been smarter about the possibility of somebody being there. Yeah. Uh, you could understand why it was it, it was his line to take, even if it might not have been the best choice ever. And Botas was just uh, delusional about thinking <laughs> that space would be left for him. Kvyat was right because the main.
3: gap was there because he went into it. Uh okay so thanks ch- thanks chat room for that um summers so- you are claire williams solve mm, solve williams that, problems that, that really D- um okay it's my it's my <laughs> podcast come on just let me have this um I, I don't think it's solvable
6: in this season unfortunately i think they've they've sw- they've strayed too far across one end of the, the spectrum they've tried to make a, a lot of changes to the to this year's car um the Means that going back to sort of what they had with the FW36 isn't isn't possible. Um, well, it is, but you know, unlimited funds and everything. Um, I think they need to get a major handle on their tyre situation. That's their biggest Achilles heel for me at the moment. They seem to really be struggling on pace, and that to me is primarily aimed at at, at the tyre temperatures.
3: OK, so um there's Americans on the show and you've all been very smug the last few weeks that America's basically come in and dominated Formula One. Ken, what's happened? What? Where were they? Uh, I've got a theory. Do you mind if I share my theory? Please. OK, so my theory is that Gutierrez is actually a bad luck charm for Haas. And if he's in the race, they won't do well. So I think oh, so na- he's
2: like a chiller then.
3: Yeah, exactly. So they've got his money. They've got his money from wherever the Gutierrez money comes from. And they need to just <laughs> have mysterious failures now all through the season or make sure he runs close to Alonso. And that will leave Grosjean free, jinx free, to go and finish fourth, third, second, and then win.
5: Yeah, well, so it's a very interesting race in that regard, and that all 22 cars finished, even though they were bouncing off of each other all through the race. And uh, we saw Gutierrez uh, was the undamaged Taz car, and where did he finish? Nineteenth. Um,
3: good
2: heavens! Oh no, right? so good, oh,
5: no, no, my mistake. Gutierrez finished fourteenth. Yeah, yeah, fourteenth. Right. So that um, so that that puts him ahead of what Sauber and puts them ahead of Manor and um, who are we missing? Oh, and Renault, right? You know, so they're for them to get points, they may have seen the big luck that they needed in the first two race, races and maybe uh, who's to say how many points these lucky folks can get for the rest of the season. Maybe this is all the pace they have.
2: No, nah, th- th- I think their pace – on certain tracks is better, but remember, uh, one of the most vocal drivers about the tire pressures at China was Grosjean. So, for some reason, the the pressure and temperature equation at this particular track really seemed to catch them out and damage the handling of the car. Is is what I would say. I would I would say there will probably be certain tracks where they are more like we saw the first two races. And you're going to see certain tracks where it's going to be like this. And it's all down to the ridiculous pressures Pirellis is requiring them, them to run in the tires. you know, and, and, and they're doing that for safety, ostensible safety reasons to keep the tires safe. But I say, why send out a recommendation that says you can run 40 laps on this tire if everything works out? They should just say, you can't run more than 15 laps or it's on your head. What happens? Oh, please, put the, please, put the pressures don't, back don't down down
5: that road.
6: <laughs> the, the problem is we've <laughs> been there before.
2: Sorry. Uh, I, yeah. I'm still irritated about the resolution of that, but that's okay. That's just me.
5: Well, yeah. So, I mean, I, I certainly agree. I understand the whole thing about complaints about the high pressures, because it does end up, it totally changes the dynamics of the tires. You end up with a much a significantly less footprint with which to work with, but um, yeah, that's unfortunately because of the nature of how that we got here and the amount of testing that Pirelli has, I that, that may be one of the few options they have is to require these minimum pressures, I suppose. I'm, I'm disappointed, but here we are.
2: Yeah, and and I guess my real irritation about this is that just historically tires haven't been run at pressures this high, so a lot of accumulated data and wisdom has to be essentially tossed out the window, which is just an expensive proposition. So, but the there are structural underpinnings to that choice, and you're absolutely correct to say this. There's structural underpinnings that have brought this about that are you can't really just hang on Pirelli or anyone else or any one thing. It's a larger Formula One issue that has been, quite frankly, beaten to death. And everybody knows exactly what it is.
3: All right, Matt, we we talked about Honda yet?
2: We haven't talked about Honda, but I'm surprised you didn't talk about Lewis Hamilton's silver lining.
3: Go on then. Lewis Hamilton's silver lining was that he got a point or two whatever
2: it, it was it was the it was the it was the start did you see his start
3: it was a great start but what a time to do it <laughs> now now does that mean does that mean that he has uh, got this start bogey off his back or does it simply mean our car's further back at the grid just not as good at starting therefore he
5: looks better you know no No, you know what? So here's whose fault that is. That's Patty Lowe. That's Mercedes, right? Because here's the other thing that Patty Lowe said after the race. He goes, ironically, that was a debate that they had last night as a team as to whether or not to start from the pit lane, which our friend Craig Alderson, who's unfortunately not on today, he thought that that would be the wise course to go. And it turned out that would have been the wise course to go anytime you start at the back, even if you have a great start like Hamilton did. There's always an accordion effect in turn one. If everything doesn't go just right, even when it does go right, and there was the accordion effect, it was it's it gets hairy in the middle of the pack, and so that's the <laughs> roll of the dice, the gamble that you take, and they yeah, lost.
3: They did lose, and it was a really frustrating afternoon as a Hamilton fan because it just never got going. Every, every time he thought he made some progress, he would then need to pit and come out in traffic and it just that strategy it just seemed nowhere from beginning to end they never got to grip with obviously it doesn't help if he's got damage was there any indication of of how much that that damage had cost him in aero i think that's a question for Summers. oh yeah no definitely oh i simply assumed that you guys would know you were too ignorant to answer that and summers would jump in um there's obviously no way of putting a total number on it but if you had um, to wildly speculate what would you say (sighs) Putting
2: your reputation on the line. (laughs) I would say rather than speculating, I don't know. I was on Twitter while I was desperately trying to come up with some words to describe everything that I saw when I wasn't sleeping. And there was someone listed off the damage to Hamilton's car. Was that was that you, Summers, or is that somebody Uh, else?
6: I I showed a picture of it. um, Yeah, it was was significant.
2: Tell us what exactly all broke on the car. And I think everyone will get the idea.
6: Okay, so, so basically um if you go to my Twitter feed, which is twitter.com summer's F one, F1, um basically um there's a picture there showing the damage to, to Hamilton's car, and you will see that the turning vanes, which are the little veins that run under, on the underside of the chassis and the nose, were snapped. The front element was completely missing. Um they run a very complex set of turning vanes on the on the chassis of the Mercedes and the footplate was completely torn off now that footplate has a lots of serrations in it which obviously do have an important role in the way that the airflow is managed in that region further back than that because of the way that the wing got lodged underneath the car and was moving backwards and forwards as he was trying to dislodge it um the splitter was also broken and because of that the aero around the front area of the floor would be problematic and then If you follow the technical side of the sport, you'd know that Mercedes run what they dub a W floor, which is basically some strakes that um, extend from the front edge of the floor to try and condition the airflow and straighten it before it reaches the diffuser. And a few of those are actually broken as well. So it's quite an enormous amount of um, damage in consideration of what Mercedes are trying to do with the airflow in that region of the car. And It will completely affect the centre of pressure of the car, the balance, and will also exacerbate the problem that you have with tyres because you'll you'll not you'll not be in the right window um, for the tyre to operate correctly.
2: Matt, it's, it, how soon do you think they were aware of all that damage? Was this all post race, or at what point? Do you, what point do you think they had an inkling that, that more was going on than maybe met the eye initially on t- the, on Tully?
6: They'd know straight away because of the load centers on the car. Um, so they'd know that the, the, the pressure of the of the difference between the centre of pressure was off. Um, as to how bad it is, it was changing throughout the race because not only do you have the, the fuel burning off, the tyre situation changing, you, you're affecting the balance in that respect. But Obviously, parts were still perhaps dislodging throughout the race as well. So you've also <laughs> got the issue of the front splitter as well, which, as we know, can... Obviously, cause the car to be DNF would come the end of the race if the um, the skid blockies yeah. has got too much wear.
3: Yeah. So
6: you know, there's lots of things that would have been going through Mercedes' mind and lots of discussion on the pit wall, I would imagine. But I don't think that they would have ultimately known fully how how much of an influence it would be having on Lewis's race and how much he would have to adjust his driving style to make things work.
4: Uh, Hamilton basically summed it up, by but- Banner said, grabbing a four-poster bet. And um, in the chat room, we have MG5904 saying, I thought he did a yeoman's job fighting back from adversity until his tires died at the end of the race.
3: Yeah, no, I think he did. And one of the funniest things was hearing Massa going, yeah, I held back Hamilton, I held back the Mercedes, as if he kind of didn't realise that that thing was quite crippled behind him. But perhaps the two front-running teams that breezed by him should have given him a clue that maybe Hamilton wasn't fighting at top capacity.
2: Yeah, well, to me, this is an interesting thing, and I I like MG5904's comment because... Great name. Watching the race, not until, uh, I guess, lap 43 or 44, when Hamilton tried to get by Massa and Ricardo got by both of them, did they even begin to mention exactly what effect the damage might be having on Hamilton's driving? And I'm just curious, Summers, if you think that might be down to the ban on radio communications. Because in the past, we probably would have heard a lot more chatter between Hamilton and his engineers about the state of the car. And then watching his drive as a viewer, whether you're a fan or not, it would have been a completely different experience. You're looking at it thinking, man, this is like, post-traumatic stress from the year of running into Felipe Massa and the reality is he had a barely drivable car and it's astonishing he managed to get as far as he did but during the race you didn't appreciate it because the tv commentators did not bring that to the fore
6: yeah I think the I'm kind of missing some of the radio chatter this year um to me I don't have a problem with any of what was going on apart from obviously drivers being totally told how to drive a corner where to break Um, yeah you know those sort of things it shouldn't be done driver training is is something that should be eradicated but anything else I don't have a problem with per se Um, in terms of the radio chatter I believe because it was damaged it wouldn't have been a problem for Mercedes to have communicated with him anyway but I do think that FOM have perhaps had a little bit of a cut down themselves in terms of what radio they're allowing to be broadcast There was a point in the broadcast that I noticed that the radio come up from Lewis and um, it quickly extinguished on the screen. And I I think there was perhaps some more chatter going on, but FOM decided that they weren't going to show it.
3: Guys, we have reached critical mass on time, which I don't think it's a bad thing, but I'd like to keep it to an hour. It makes it easier for everyone to commit to, it makes it easier for, for people to jump in. On the stream, but before you go, I would want uh, your few questions I, I want to know who your driver of the weekend was as as is the tradition of our people, uh, who you think maybe didn 't do so well, but before that <laughs> missed apex f one race review is brought to you by Solent tutoring, not Soylent tutoring, as I mistakenly said last <laughs> week, and uh, Charlie on Twitter posted the the, the meme from the film Soylent Green saying Soylent tutoring is people. Uh, Solent tutoring is not people. Uh, they are proud to announce the new GCSE maths revision e-course is available now. Use the offer code f one for £8 off the normal £15 fee. It covers the fundamentals of GCSE maths. Uh, the course will cover everything in the numbers topic of the curriculum with easy-to-follow video lectures so it's a cheat sheet for your kids to get through their GCSEs for seven quid you can't ask for more than that so go to facebook.com forward slash soylent s-o-l-e-n-t tuition use the offer code mistapexf1 and you're getting two hours of math tuition for seven quid The podium was horrible, the podium was awkward. Uh, I think we've covered most of what was going on with the Vettel Kvyat, uh, but I just wanted to say hats off to Kvyat, because you've got the four-time world champion in there chewing your ears off, telling you you're stupid, telling you you're ignorant, and he did stand up nicely, didn't he, Viv, and just kind of, you know, he held his ground.
4: Yes, and he basically said he was racing and he will do it again in, in the future, so let's wait what happens with Kvyat men.
3: I do. I love that, Matt. I love the yeah. And what? I'll yeah, do it again.
2: I, I, I'm <laughs> looking forward to a year of Vettel and Kvyat driving into each other, just like Hamilton and Massa did. That was so <laughs> much fun, wasn't it? It
3: was, but I mean, is it just arrogance from Vettel because he didn't have enough information to know for sure that he wasn't to blame, and he was going down the, the young man's, you know, throat, really giving it everything? He just didn't have the evidence. Was he that desperate to remove blame from hitting his teammate? That's maybe Vortex was
4: right. Maybe Vortex was right. He was trying to impress Marcioni.
5: Ah. Go on, Ken. No, no, I was going to say that's that's very typical, though. It, it, that's when, when you pull the helmet off, most people, and Vettel is one of the coolest cucumbers with the helmet on, and he was upset. And later he's going to say, well, okay, you know, maybe that was just a racing incident. But when you pull the helmet off, and these guys at this level, the seasons they've been racing, they've seen it all through their karting careers, their junior formula careers and even behind the scenes in F1 as well. They'll be angry when they get out of the car, maybe rightly so, but often more often than not not so correctly angry as in this case. It just that's why Kvyat handled it the way he did. That's very typical of any racing driver, any paddock anywhere across the world. I thought to my mind that's just the normal yeah. after race banter.
3: Has anybody else noticed this phenomenon on the actual podium itself? The tradition is you speak to the winner, you speak to second place, third place, and then you go back to the winner. How come it seems when Rosberg wins, whoever does the interview seems completely uninterested in ever going back to Rosberg? It has happened to him so much. And the German guy it was a German. He's quite famous in Germany. The guy who did the interviews this week, I think, he went straight back to Vettel. Oh, That's sorry. It's that just it's
2: shit. poor Nico, man. Poor Nico. Okay,
3: then, guys, yeah. let's get let's get your driver of the weekend. Summers, who are you giving to give it to?
6: Rosberg. Really? Imperio- Imperious throughout the weekend.
3: <laughs> Imperious throughout the weekend. Well, I mean, he hasn't put a foot wrong. Yeah. Do, do we have any indication of how he's actually doing?
6: Um, not really, because you haven't got the benchmark to measure him against because Hamilton's kind of had all of the bad
3: looks so far. Fair enough. Uh, Ken, who are you going to give your driver of the week?
5: Well, I was thinking about giving it to Rosberg as well. And um, not only for the reasons that Summers mentioned, but also because he was ebullient uh, over how well that car handled on Sunday. And as I had mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that car did not handle that well on Friday. And he was able to run the length of that he needed to, no problem. But instead I'm going to give it to Kavi uh Fiat, Kaviat. Yep. Uh the Russian Fiat, whatever his name is, uh, because he saw the opening and he performed thereafter to the checkers. Nice job. How far we've come from the years of
3: the Cold War for an American to be handing, handing that honour down, Matt.
2: Oh, I'm going to go for Ricardo all the way.
3: I agree with you as well, Ricardo, just for the qualifying performance alone, really. Uh, no, and-
2: actually for the haircut. I liked it. What was the fuss about? It was, it, was, it was an amazing haircut. And, and as, as those of you watching the stream can see, I do have a, you know, I, I can respect the hair. Let's just say that. Vivian, do you respect Matt's hair?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. But uh going back to the driver of driver of the race, I would give it to all the drivers because they did end the race. All a the drivers did. Time.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Shout that. Oh no! You missed the apex. Very quickly, who missed the apex for you, Matt?
2: Ooh. Who missed the Apex for me? Going to have to think about that.
3: Let's go to Vettel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Vivian's agreeing Vettel as well. Uh, Anyone else not Vettel? I'm Vettel also. Summers? Me me too. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He he had had the car probably to to win the weekend, didn't he? He's he's choked, I reckon, in quali. Uh, And he's hit his teammate. In fact, I saw, I'll call you out, F1 Nova on... On Twitter, he had a Twitter poll, and Vettel was one of the options. I'm going to say I don't agree with Vettel being an option on there. Uh, I can think of 18 other people who didn't clatter their teammates. I have an award I want to give. so this is for bratish behavior the daddy i want a pony award and as well i don't i don't want to heap it i nearly gave it to kviat because he was kicking off on the radio about blue flags but it, it's got to go to sebastian vettel just he's gone off half-cocked that's the problem isn't it uh, vi- go on
2: matt interesting small fact about blue flags they're not called from race control they're called by the marshals so if you hear a driver complaining about blue flags they're trying to get race control to call the marshall post and tell them to wake the you know what up
3: <laughs> do their job i know we didn't get to the chat stream uh, too much today viv we've had so much on with some great on-air callers do you have a comment of the week
4: Yes, in fact, I do. Uh, MG5904, who has been chatting all along, has says, wonder what Weber's reaction would be at hearing Vettel's comments. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good one, I would say.
3: I think he, is, he has slammed a, a, a glass of water down and he is looking stoically into the camera. I, I predict that that is his reaction. That's quite funny. Thank you very much then, MG. What series of numbers? 5904. Thanks for that. Comment up. The week. would you like to sponsor a segment on any of the spanners ready podcast shows you can for five pounds promote your blog or company or just simply show support for the show hosting fees they're not going to make my kids starve but I've been getting away with it for a few years, uh, but the cost of it has now appeared on my wife's radar. So if you want to help me ensure that I can expand my podcasting, uh, or even actually at this rate, just continue what I'm doing already. You want to go to spannersready.com forward slash sponsor. Summers, where can people find you on the internet? They can either find me at summersf1.co.uk,
6: which is my own blog. Um, do some work for Planet F1 dot com and obviously i am the technical assistant editor for motorsport.com
3: fancy uh matt yes. matt where can people catch up with you
2: i i'm not even going to bother after that i can't keep up you can find me on matt pt 55 on the twitters
3: don't you have an impressive job title at a well-renowned motorsport media outlet
2: i do also write the race and qualifying reviews for the judge 13.com so come on over and call me names in the comments like everybody else Ooh,
3: god Actually, that is worth, that is worth. If you want to see Matt on Internet Nuclear, that is kind of worth it. Vivian, where can people catch up with you?
4: Well, people can find me on Twitter at Vivian Bove and then on Radio House in Honduran radio station.
3: Also impressive. Ken, do you have a radio station, motorsport outlet or race reports?
5: I don't, actually. I'm a nobody, uh, so therefore I'm only on Twitter at VortexMotio. But I do recommend people follow uh, Matt Summersfield at SummersF1. He's, uh, he's outstanding, and I want to thank him for all that he does.
3: You're being too modest, people. You should definitely follow Ken uh, at VortexMotio, M-O-T-I-O. I think I got That's that. That's correct. I think I even got that right. And apologies to Toto Wolf. He's waiting on the line, but we have a strict time limit and if you enjoy the things i do some people do you can find everything i podcast at www.spannersready.com loads of stuff on there please get involved and remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever see you next time on mist apex We're getting increasingly bad at sticking to the hour, Matt.
2: Yeah, well. How, how did we do?
5: Black- hey,
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.